We're going to try to go as far as to deal with one verse this morning. Uh, so hang on, it's, uh, it's packed full of stuff. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20 is where we are going to be. All right. Let me begin this way. And I want to I make sure you understand the terms that I'm using. If you are a religious person, now I need to, I need to say a word about a religious person, okay? In our world, religion, is this other mic on? Would you shut that down, please? It's getting an echo up here. Thank you. Uh, a religious person in today's world is somebody who is a person who is seeking the divine. They're seeking God, all right? That's a religious person. We don't ever want to be religious people. True religion is when we are letting God seek us. God seeks us. We don't seek him. And a truly religious person is somebody who is allowing God to seek them. And it's all about God to us. It's never about us to God. So if you are a religious person, your goal is then as a legitimate religious person to reach ultimate fellowship with Jesus Christ. And we're saying Jesus Christ to the exclusion of every other religious figure in the world or so-called God. Somebody who is reaching fellowship with Jesus Christ is a truly religious person. And your goal is to dwell in the kingdom of God. And I want to explain that a little bit later so we're all talking about the same thing. We ask people, are you a member of the kingdom or do you want to be in the kingdom? And I think a lot of times people don't have any idea. What are we talking about? What kingdom? You know, I'm I'm already in the kingdom of America. Uh, Where do you want me to be? Well, a true religious person has a goal of reaching ultimate fellowship and walk with God and then also to dwell in the kingdom of God. Now, within ancient Judaism, and by the way, Judaism is still going today with the Jews who worship uh, Yahweh, but they don't worship uh, God as, as far as Jesus is concerned. But within Judaism and Christianity, there are arguments on how a person is to achieve this lofty but attainable goal of walking in fellowship with God. And we had this uh, funny little uh, story this morning on the screen up here about somebody who uh, begins to do life legalistically. And I know there's people that they think, I will never be able to please God. I will never be able to live up to God's standard. And they look at other people that they think are living up to God's standard and say, "I I can't do that. It's an unattainable goal. But the Bible says it is an attainable goal if you know what it is you're really looking for and you're not looking for the wrong thing. How does a person get into a personal relationship with God, or we can say with Jesus Christ? How does that happen? How do I get into a personal relationship with God? To answer that question, the Old Testament priests and the New Testament pastors have given different answers. It should be in the New Testament church that you get close to God by going to Jesus, because he is the only answer on how we can actually have a relationship with God. Jesus is the answer above any other thing that any other religion is offering people today. There is much confusion in this world over righteousness. Our righteousness is not a means of salvation. We can be as righteous as we can possibly be. We can try to live the best Christian life we think we should live. And that righteousness is going to amount to nothing if that's what righteousness is built on. And that's the wrong thing. We'll talk about that as well. The Bible says that salvation comes by faith alone in Christ alone. But somehow, errant teachers of the word of God 
have given multitudes the false idea that you are saved by good works. In other words, that you can save yourself by your righteousness. And that's a lie from the pits of hell. I would like you to look at uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 with me for just a minute. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 10 through 12. Now, this is talking about the Antichrist that is to come uh, and will appear during in, in a part of the Great Tribulation. He is called in chapter 2 of Thessalonians verse 8, the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearing of his coming. At his second coming, he will slay the lawless one, the Antichrist. That is, the one who is coming, notice, in accord with uh, the activity of Satan. See, Satan is already active. Satan is already working. Satan is already trying to bring about the end of days where he can overthrow God and take over the kingdom and where you and I would be slaughtered. That's his goal. So he's waiting for that time. Uh, some people think that Satan always has a, a person chosen to be the Antichrist or the lawless one in every generation if he gets the opportunity to move ahead with his plan. Well, here God is telling us about what the plan is for the Antichrist. He is the one who is coming in accord with the activity of Satan. Satan's already doing things. He's already working. He's already uh, allowing uh, or bringing delusion into the world. And it says the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all deception of wickedness. The world is now being given over to the deception of, of Satan and to his Antichrist. And that all that deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive, notice the love of the truth so as to be saved. The truth about salvation is you put your faith in Jesus Christ, having asked for forgiveness of your sins, and believe that he paid the price of your sins on the cross. Having believed that, you are saved. Well, what is Satan trying to do? Well, he is uh, bringing this delusion of deception into the world as he is able to, and it's not about the love of the truth, which is salvation by faith in Christ, so as to be saved. For this reason... God will send upon them, that is the, the unbelievers that, are, that have denied the truth, a deluding influence. Now that comes from God. That's also in Revelation chapter 17, verse 17. A deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. Now in the Greek text, it literally says there, they will believe the lie. The lie, not the truth. Notice verse 10, the, the truth. Verse 11, there's something else out there, the lie, what is false. In order that they may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. You know what wickedness is? Trying to work your way into heaven. You know what wickedness is? Trying to think that your righteousness and what you do that is good is somehow going to measure up uh, to God and he's going to let you off, off, your, off the hook for your sins. And that's, that's a deception, that's a lie. I think it is also this. I am amazed and appalled at the same time at how quickly across the world the delusion about the gospel is, is taking place. You know what the delusion is? The deception is? It's not that you're saved by faith through Christ and, and his blood. The deception is you're saved by your good works. You're saved by being a good person, and God loves everybody, so nobody's going to go to hell. Nobody's going to end up in hell ever because God is a loving God, and so don't worry about that. You're just saved by doing good things and being good. That's the lie that is taking over churches around the world right now. 
That is the great deception that will lead us into uh, the coming of the Antichrist, and it's everywhere. God warned us about this, but somehow we we're not getting the point, and there's people in the past who didn't get the point either. We want to get the point. In and of ourselves, the Bible teaches we have no righteousness to offer God. We only have dirty rags to offer him, Isaiah 64, 6. That's what our works are like. All of our righteousness is like dirty, filthy rags to God. We have also looked at the outside of other people uh, for their compliance with righteousness in the Bible in order to judge their spirituality. Uh, does this young person do this? Do they do that? Do they do this? Do they do that? Uh, and if they're doing all those rules that we want them to do, we say, oh, there's a, there's a Christian young person. Aren't they wonderful? All right? And the ones that aren't doing the rules, we, we write them off. The point is you can't tell how spiritual a person is by the way they act. You really can't. If that was the case, then Pharisees and Sadducees in the Old Testament would not have had any trouble getting into heaven, and yet Jesus said they're having more trouble than the rest of you that are not that. Well, Jesus looks at a person's heart. He does not look at the person that is uh, doing all these legalistic things to do everything everybody wants and says, now there's a righteous person, because sometimes their heart isn't right with God, even on the outside it looks like it should be. The doctrine of being saved by one, one's good works is a satanic, uh, deluding doctrine, and it's not God's doctrine, and we need to lay it down. Now, it's not going to take as long to read our text, but that's okay. There's a lot of stuff here. If you look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, now, you're sitting here, and you don't know, I don't know, anybody know a scribe? Anybody know a Jewish Pharisee? I don't, and, and I don't think anybody in here really does know anybody like that. I've seen them before. When we were in Israel, I saw them. But if you were a Jew, and you're listening to what Jesus is preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's preaching this stuff, and he just said something about the religious leaders that, that you know, and some of them may be there even, and you know that they're very godly people, very righteous people, and they, they live for the word of God. And Jesus just said this, I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, and you're thinking, well, that's not possible. How could that possibly be? These are the, are the most religious of all the religious. Most of those guys have the word of God memorized from, from front to back. They could tell you it by rote. And they have these robes they wear and these tassels about how much prayer they do and how much word of God they know. And they've got these little leather boxes tied on their hands that are full of the word of God and tied around their forehead. And those are full of the word of God. I mean, they, they, they eat, drink, and breathe the, the Lord God. And now Jesus is saying, unless my righteousness, the average guy, you know, sitting on the grass during the, during the sermon or on a rock, that my righteousness, if it doesn't supersede theirs, if it doesn't go beyond theirs, and by the way, it's even worse than that, what the English gives us, I can't, I can't have a relationship with God? Are you kidding me? And so he's got their attention. Unless your righteousness, and the, my English text in my uh, New American leaves out a Greek word, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but it's more than just surpass. It means greatly surpass, or surpass in a big way. Unless my righteousness surpasses that of my religious leaders, 
you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, saying the kingdom of heaven is the same thing as saying you will not belong to God, and you will not see God where God dwells in his place. That's a big deal. So just imagine what it was like in their, in their day to hear those words. Not so intimidating today with pastors, I'll admit that, because we've seen some very immoral pastors, some pastors that cheat, some pastors that steal money from people, and because of the TV, we, this stuff comes you know, right into our home. We find out they're godless, they're immoral. And so you say, yeah, I, I could surpass their righteousness pretty easy. But hopefully there's some out there that are still trying to live for God and live a good life. And you might have looked at them and said, well, I'll never be more righteous than that. And I need you to know you shouldn't be doing that. And that's wrong. That's wrong. So you don't do that. So what we learn in verse 20 is, if we want to be in the kingdom, and by the way, yes, you do want to be in the kingdom. That's where you really want to be. If we want to be in the kingdom, our righteousness must surpass the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And I can put other people in there. It must surpass the righteousness of the most righteous pastor you can think of. It must surpass the righteousness of, of some of those people. And you say, well, how can that happen? Well, let's make sure that we take into account as we look at this, the context of where Jesus was when he said this and when he was doing this teaching about the truth of the word of God. Do you think Jesus ever irritated the scribes and Pharisees? Do you think they ever got mad at him? Do you think they were sick and tired of, of him saying stuff like this that really put them in a bad light? Yeah, mad enough that they would put him to death for it. Yes, all right? But Jesus wants you to know, don't follow these guys. Don't follow their example because they're leading you to hell. Now, that's some pretty strong stuff. And we're thinking, well, then what is my righteousness? What should I do? Well, we learned back in uh, verses 17 to 19 that Jesus said he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Now, that's important for this context. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. You understand there's nobody else that can do that. You understand there's never been a human being on planet Earth who could fulfill the law and the prophets perfectly without any mistakes. Nobody. There's never been anybody except Jesus. And Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. Not to, he came not to abolish them or take them away. In other words, the law and the Old Testament is still the word of God. It's still good for us. Every portion of scripture is profitable for training in righteousness. And so we study out of the Old Testament. We learn that a teacher must take the whole law into account and teach all that is there. Last time we were in Matthew. Because the law is enduring. It doesn't go away. It doesn't pass away. It is the word of God. And what Jesus was doing was chastising anybody who annuls, in verse 19, one of the least of these commandments and teaches others do the same, to do the same, uh, he will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He's still talking about the teachers. And then he turns around and says, okay, the scribes, the lawyers, the Pharisees, the people that teach you the word of God, unless you are more righteous than them, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. He just chastised the religious leaders and now he's telling us uh, we have to be more righteous than them. Here Jesus brings up the issue of a person being a member of the kingdom of God. All right? Uh, what does that mean? Uh, what I do to be a member of the kingdom of God, because I, if I'm not a member of the kingdom of God, there's only one other kingdom, and that's the kingdom of Satan. There is no way that there's another kingdom. 
There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Now, there's earthly kingdoms, sure. People live, uh, you know, in all kinds of different kingdoms on earth, but that's not what we're concerned about. Do you want to be in the kingdom of God? And the kingdom of God means if I'm a member, I'm in the kingdom of God right now, but it's going to be full-blown in the millennial kingdom when Jesus comes back. Do I want to be on Jesus' side or on Satan's side? If I want to be on Satan's side, I stay in the world. I deny Christ. I don't believe that he paid for my sins on the cross. If I want to get into the kingdom of God, I must just get rid of all those things and, and change my mind that I can't work my way in. I'm not righteous enough. I'll never be righteous enough. Neither will the scribes, Pharisees, and pastors, and teachers, and seminaries, unless their righteousness is the right kind of righteousness. And that's the whole issue. And I do want to be in the kingdom. I'm a kingdom member. How did I get that way? By trusting Christ as Savior. And, and most of you have done that too. So who has, in a Jewish layman's estimation as they listen to this uh, sermon, a better relationship to God and the law than the scribes and the Pharisees? If they had to look around Israel and say, well, if it's not the scribes and the Pharisees that have the greatest relationship with God, then who does? And they're looking all over the place. These are our religious leaders. They teach us the word of God. They tell us when we're doing what's right and when we're doing what's wrong. What are you talking about? Who's right? Where, what righteousness is there then? It was not the Pharisees and the scribes that, that are examples of that. Well, the scribes and the Pharisees exhibit total, the scribes and Pharisees exhibit total commitment to Yahweh in the way that they live and in their lofty prayers. But that doesn't let them go to heaven. So we're talking about legalism. We're talking about keeping rules to be close to God. If that was the case, Jesus would never have been able to say that about them. So when Jesus says to these laymen who are all Torah keepers, the law keepers, they, they, they try to follow the law as best they can. There's an issue with their membership in the kingdom, which is what Jesus was saying. If your righteousness is not better than them, there's an issue about your kingdom membership. And if you don't surpass the level of the righteousness of these specific religious leaders, uh, then you're not going to make it. And I think Jesus had their attention because that's all they've known. Uh, these guys are spiritual leaders and they're very spiritual people. If you don't believe it, just ask a scribe if he's spiritual. Just ask a Pharisee if they're spiritual. What, what answer do you think you're going to get? Well, look carefully. That also means that the religious leaders are not meeting the standard of righteousness that Jesus is talking about. Well, why don't you just take all the hope away from us that we have? I can't be as righteous as a Pharisee or a scribe. Jesus, you know, I, I, I'm just a, a shop worker. I just, I'm a common laborer. You know, I, I don't know the law like these guys do. And you're telling me I can't get to heaven because I'm not more righteous than them? How am I going to do this? And then he, he takes these guys and he says uh, they have total commitment to God and it's all external, which is the part that they're, they're missing and saying, well, huh, that's not me. I can't do that. I have no hope. And that would be wrong because you do have hope. Look carefully. God is saying your religious leaders are bound for hell. Don't be like them. Uh, a few years ago, um, I'd worked my way up to being the finish line judge at the Smith Center Redmond track meets, and I loved that a lot. I was replaced by a camera, and uh, <laughs> it's, it's the way of the world. But anyway, uh, 
Um, there's a lot of things happening on track if, and in track, and if you ever study some of that stuff, it's pretty interesting stuff. Uh, there's all kinds of rules, like if you're running in a distance race and that inside line on that track, if you take three consecutive steps on that line, you're considered out of bounds and you can be disqualified from the race. And we've done that a couple of times. Or, or we'd yell at them and say, get off that line, all right? Because you're responsible for that, that edge of the line that's closest to you. And I also know that when we're doing uh, different heats, like in the 100-meter hundred uh, dash, that the best runners, if we have some times from the past, are going to be in lane, the best one will be in lane four, and the next best in lane three, and after that, five, and it works its way out. So you can just look down the track, and you can see, after the track season's gone on a while, who they think are the fastest kids. They don't put the fastest kids in the middle of the track. That's an advantage, because you can see what's happening on both sides of you. If you're in lane eight, you don't have that advantage. And so if you're a lane one runner, lane eight runner, especially lane eight, Probably, I could guess, you're going to be the last guy over the line. In fact, I used to stand against the fence up there, and so the people up in, the, up in this uh, booth, they couldn't see lane 8 because of all the crowd, and they knew that when I went on the track, lane 8 finally came across, usually in the last part. I don't know what it's like because I didn't do the 100-meter uh, dash, uh, as you might tell, even though it looks like I live in the gym. Um, you, you're on that outside lane. Some of those kids give up hope. I'm not going to make it. I can't compete with three and four or five. And that's why they put me out here. And I've seen kids give up when they're, they see they're the last person to cross the line. They just stop. And, and it's because they don't think they can compete with those people in the middle. And that's a tough deal. And I'll tie that in here in a minute. So how can I, as a layperson, be more spiritual than my spiritual leaders? How's that going to happen? Or people that I see in my life that seem to be very spiritual. If we compare ourselves to the righteous people around us, we may just feel like giving up because we can't do what they're doing. We may just feel like, just what's the purpose of finishing the race? I'm going to lose. I'm not going to make it. And so I just give up. And I look at those people and I think I'll never be like them. And God doesn't want us to feel that way. We're not to compare ourselves to people. I must surpass the righteousness of those religious leaders is what people think sometimes. The word surpass uh, means abundance or to abound or to be more than enough. Now, that means I have to have an abundance of righteousness more than the Pharisees, more than the scribes, if I want to make it into heaven. Further, uh, there is another Greek word in that text that is not in my English represented, and it's the Greek word paulus. And what it means is to be large or to be great by degree. So uh, w if you were to translate that, you would have to say something like, unless your righteousness or unless your uh, super exceeding righteousness or your great surpassing of righteousness. In other words, uh, he's making it even worse. I have to go way beyond where the religious leaders are. I have to go way beyond the Pharisees and the Sadducees if I want to get into heaven with my righteousness. How on earth am I going to do that? And so it makes people want to give up. Well, the meaning, uh, the meaning comes to be that I must greatly surpass the righteousness of my religious leaders. 
And you just have to wonder, in Jesus' estimation, because of who he's talking about, just how bad are these Pharisees and these Sadducees? Well, in chapter 23, Jesus is going to tell us just how bad they are. So he said, they're thinking, unless that happens, I'm not going to make it into the kingdom. The issue becomes, what does Jesus mean by this? Well, what are scribes and Pharisees? We have to find out that. A scribe, and that has to do with somebody that's writing, right? A scribe writes things in the ancient days. They didn't have photocopy machines. They didn't even have mimeographs, which I had when I was a kid. Uh, they had Xeroxes that came out, and they had well, on slick paper, and they, they weren't that good. Uh, I don't remember when color copying came in, but we could never afford one. But the point is, uh, you didn't do that. You took a manuscript, and perhaps you're in a situation where one of the scribes would stand at the head of a table, and there'd be scribes, professional scribes, who write things down in no languages, inside and out. Remember, Ezra was a scribe, an expert in languages, and they're sitting around the table, and the, uh, the person would read something, for I say to you, for I say to you, and they would all write that down in their manuscript because they're trying to make a bunch of copies of this book. And then he would say uh, that unless your righteousness surpasses, that unless your righteousness surpasses, they write this down, they get it right. Then they might have to read it back and see if somebody made a mistake as they're listening. There are mistakes that were made in, in the area of what they heard and mistakes in the area of what they actually wrote. And so they had to watch that carefully. They gave their lives to that. These boys know the word of God like nobody else. A scribe was then a lawyer in the law of Moses, the first five books. He was an expert in matters relating to the law and languages and its divine revelation. If you wanted to know what it really meant, go ask a scribe. He was a mosaic specialist because Moses wrote the first five books. A mosaic specialist. He was a scholar given his life over to study and education and knowing the word of God. And they most of them memorized it. A Pharisee, and remember the Apostle Paul was one before he came to Christ, means a separated one. That's what the word means, a separatist. And they were the group or the party of leaders who, who looked at themselves and said, we are people of accurate and specific observance of the law. The scribes are writing it down. This is what you do if you want to please God. This is what you do. And the Pharisees said, you know what? Our group of guys, we're going to do that better than anybody in the nation, anybody on earth. We're going to separate from the world, and we're going to do that. And we're going to follow what the scribes have given us to do. They were the organized followers of the experts of the law. They were the group that followed what the scribes came out with in, as experts in the law, in interpretation. They, they purposed to take a pattern of pious Israelites as established by the scribes and put it into practice as, as nearly as they possibly could without mistakes. And that's the kind of people that these folks were looking up to. These people that dedicated their whole life were going to do exactly what the book says. And this is uh, who Jesus is telling them about that day in the sermon. They were spiritual runners as far as everybody was concerned. These are, these are lane three, four, and five people. And they're going to come in first with God. That's what they thought as lay people were concerned. And Jesus indicated they aren't going to uh, get any gold medal the way that they are. 
they will fail. They will be disqualified from the race they thought they were running. What is a lay person supposed to do? Should I just give up and stop trying because I'll never make it? I'll never be as righteous as God wants me to be? Should I just quit? Well, in verse 20b, we learn this. If some religious leaders don't make it, where am I going to come up with the required righteousness in order to come to the kingdom of heaven? That's, that's what Jesus is answering. Let me say it again. The person is thinking, if some religious leaders don't make it, where am I going to come up with the required righteousness in order to come into the kingdom of heaven? So you, can you sense the hopelessness that they had? I can't live up to this. I'll never be good enough. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm kind of a, not even a good lane eight runner. I'll probably quit before everybody else, you know, after everybody else crosses the line. I might as well just give up. And here is what we know. If I intend to make it into the kingdom... I better surpass the righteous uh, leaders of my day. Or I'd better surpass the religious leaders in righteousness. And that's what the people believed. And that's what some people today still believe. They look at certain people in the Christian community and they say, I will never be a Billy Graham. I can never live as holy as he does. I can never be that guy that is leading hundreds of thousands of people around the world to Christ. And, and if, if Billy's in trouble, I can't be that righteous. I'll never make it. This is what Jesus is saying. He is going to demonstrate some of the problems with the righteousness of the Pharisees in the coming verses. So Jesus wants you to know these guys you're holding up on this pedestal, the righteous guys, the holy guys, the religious guys, they're not going to make it because they don't have any righteousness. What do you mean they don't have any righteousness? Well, he's going to tell them. The formula that he's going to use to demonstrate that is, you have heard that it is said, do such and such, but I say to you, this is what's going on. An example would be, you have heard it said that a man should not commit adultery, but I say to you, if a man looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he's already committed adultery. Jesus changes some of those things. Now, that's one where he's trying to get them to say, you know, you don't get a free pass if you're lusting inside, but you don't do anything about it physically. Apparently, the self-proclaimed righteousness of the Pharisees is not all that righteous. In fact, it's a lie. I want you to follow with me in Romans chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. What we're trying to do is debunk this whole thing that we have any righteousness that God wants or that he needs from us because there isn't such a thing. It says in Romans chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, Now to the one who works, that's these Pharisees, they're trying to earn their way into heaven, they're trying to be righteous through their own power. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as favor, but as what is due. You know, you should live that way anyway. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justified the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness, get it? You don't look at other people and say, oh, I got this list of all this stuff I have to do to be like them and be even better than them. That's what I need to do. You don't do that. You find your righteousness through faith, through believing what God told us about the truth of the gospel, that if we just admit we're sinners and trust that Jesus died on the cross for us, he'll give us eternal life. I don't need a list of all this righteous stuff I have to achieve first. It's, it's not there. Righteousness comes by faith. And guess whose righteousness comes by faith? It's not mine. It's, it's Jesus Christ. 
And if I don't have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, then I'm not going to make it. You get that? Is it making sense to you? Some people think they live righteously, so that's what God's going to look at them and say, my, my, what a good little Christian you are. What a wonderful person. Oh, well, you're, you're just living more righteous than everybody else you know, in church. You get to go to heaven. These others don't get to go because they're not as righteous as you are. And that's a lie from the pits of hell. Uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 1.30. He just got through saying uh, that the things of this world men, that men try to do, no man can, can brag about anything before God because we're all wretched sinners. But by his doing, you are in Christ who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption uh, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. God did that. God gave you the righteousness. You had no righteousness. God gave it to you. So what are you bragging about? You have nothing to brag about. And then uh, another one, Titus 3 and verse 5, that says, he saved us. How did he save us? By the righteousness of the Pharisees? By the righteousness of the scribes? Or by pastors? Or my Sunday school teacher? Or what? No. He saved us not on basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, let that soak in. But according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. And you say, wow, it's not of me. It's of God. And he's the one that gives me and imputes into me the righteousness of Christ. And because I have the righteousness of Christ in me, I have surpassed that of the Pharisees and the scribes. Unbelievable that we would, we would understand this. By faith, we can have for free the righteousness of Christ in us by the declaration through faith from God that we are righteous. It's God's righteousness. Jesus could have said, you know what? Uh, unless you surpass the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you're not going to get into heaven, and they're going to hell too. You know why they are? Because they're trusting in their own righteousness. But if they will have faith in me, if they will believe in me that I am the son of God, that I came to save the world of its sins, then they could have my righteousness imputed to them. No man, no woman, no child gets into heaven without having the righteousness of Christ in them. There is no such thing as the righteousness of Greg. There is no such thing as the righteousness of, uh, let's choose our spiritual leaders, of, of Steve or of Randy or of Brad or others. There is no such thing as that. That's filthy rag stuff. We need Christ's righteousness. Goodbye legalism. If I have the righteousness that Christ declares me to have through faith, I have greatly surpassed the righteousness of any religious leader that ever lived, save Jesus Christ. And I can enter into the kingdom of heaven with that righteousness. It's his. It's not yours. I had a young lady come to Christ not long ago. And she'd been trying to work her way into heaven, so afraid she's going to lose her salvation because she might sin. And that night after she trusted Christ, the Lord kept speaking to her heart, it is finished. It is finished. <laughs> Why are you trying to work your way in? Why are you trying to produce this righteousness that you don't have when it's already taken care of? It's already finished. It's finished. I asked her, what does that mean to you, what he said? She said, well, 
What it means, what I took it to mean was, it is finished. <laughs> if it's finished, what do you add? What do I add? Nothing. The scribes and the Pharisees who deny Jesus don't have righteousness. They have works that will not work when it comes to get into, into salvation. Then we who are declared righteous in Christ through faith, out of love for Jesus, will want, with his help, to work for him, to do good things in his name. And that's different than doing things to try to gain God's approval and gain God's love. Instead, I'm doing it because I love God and because of what he did for me. One is legalism. One is grace. Grace means you get something you don't deserve. So why do we think that we have to work for it or we have to maintain it under our own power? Now, that doesn't mean that God wants you to go out and live like a son of the devil, even though you have you know, salvation. That's not the issue at all. The issue is that if you really have made that decision and God has really changed you, you'll want to do the right things. Are you going to be perfect? No. Thank goodness, or we couldn't live with you, right? But you're a sinner like the rest of us. The righteousness we need to enter into the heavenly kingdom is supplied to us through faith in Christ and that without cost. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17 says salvation is without cost. I want to end uh, the body of our time together here uh, by having us look, I think that's in your bulletin, Luke 18, 9 to 14, which is where what we're talking about is uh, very ably given to us in a way that we can understand. Right? God says, listen, listen, here's what I want you to understand. Okay, People, do you get this? It's not your righteousness that's going to get you into heaven. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, well, here's what this looks like. Let me, let me just give you a story about that. And so he goes here in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 9. I might have said 19, but 9. Follow along with me. And he, now that's Jesus, and he also told this parable to some people that get this, who trusted in themselves, and that's the deluding influence of Satan on the world today. You just be good, you just be a, a godly person, and you'll get into heaven. And that's a lie from hell. And that's what's sweeping uh, churches all across the world. All right, that's wrong. That isn't the truth. Jesus is saying, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Why? Because you don't wear the clothes I wear. You don't go to all the meetings I go to. You don't read your Bible as much as I do. You don't memorize as much as I do. So I'm obviously better and I'm obviously more righteous. That's that attitude that Jesus is talking about. And he tells this parable, two men went up to the temple to pray. Okay, so far so good. That's where we want to go to pray. That's fine. One was a Pharisee, uh-oh, how's this going to turn out? The other, a tax collector, ugh, a tax collector. Uh, they're bums, they're, they're scum of the earth, they're dirt, they're dogs. They take more money than they're supposed to. Nobody liked a tax collector. Well, except Jesus when he saved one by the name of Matthew, right? So we have two, two of the opposite core. Everybody's going to look at it and say, Pharisee, righteous, good, tax collector, yuck, bad. We don't like them. So the Lord goes on. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. So he wasn't praying out loud. Thank goodness. But he said, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. And you can just see him going, 
I thank you, I'm not like other people. Swindlers, why pick that word? Because that's what everybody thought a tax collector did. You take more money than you're supposed to, you swindling cheater. And his, his lawyers are at the firm Shyster, Cheats, Rob, and Steele. You swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. That's what he had in mind the whole time. Now he's going to talk to God about how righteous he is. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, that's a, that's a big contrast there, but the tax collector. So here's this guy rehearsing his righteousness before God at the temple. I am a great and wonderful man. I just want to give you thanks, God, that I don't live like this other scum. That's his prayer. Then the tax collector, standing some distance away. See, he didn't even feel worthy to approach God. He was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven because of the shame that he felt. But he was beating his breast. This is coming from his heart. God, be merciful to me. And I want you to notice your text should say, the sinner. I'm not just any sinner. Lord, I am, I am the sinner. Sinner of sinners. And this guy is admitting the depth of his sin. And then Jesus said, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So the issue is, what kind of a religious person are you and I? The Pharisee boldly approached the throne, looked into heaven and thanked God that he wasn't a bad person. And Jesus said, the bad person went forward. The justified person stayed in the back. And God will exalt those humble people that recognize that they're sinners. We learned this, that Jesus is looking for true internal righteousness in his followers. And we can only get that from him. If it's not his, it's not going to work. Can anybody get that who wants to? Do you have to be a super Christian to get that? No. In fact, you're going to be an unsaved person who's getting it for the first time. Jesus will not turn you away. Jesus will not withhold his righteousness from you if you ask for it. He'll give it to you free of charge. Secondly, your own righteousness and your good works will not get you into the kingdom. Won't happen. And that's what our, our friend... Uh, John the Baptist said to a group of religious leaders in chapter 3 of Matthew. When he saw some of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said unto him, You brood of poisonous snakes, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? What do you think his opinion of the religious leaders was? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with your repentance, and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. John says to you, I don't, I don't want you to understand, I don't care who you are, God could raise up from these rocks children to Abraham. Stop believing in things that are false. Stop believing in things that won't save you. Repent of your sins and believe in the righteousness imputed by Christ. I don't know everybody's heart. Um, sometimes I don't know if I know my own sometimes. But I do know I'm a believer. I do know I'm going to heaven when I die. I would like you today to be free 
of legalistic practices that are saying to you, you have to be some kind of a super person before you can be a Christian. That's a lie from hell. The truth is, we're all bound for hell. We're all sinners. None of us can have righteousness unless Jesus gives us his. How do I get it? I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and that he will give me that free of charge and he changes my life and he gives that to me. And if you've done that, then rest assured you're placed in the Father's hands and the Bible says no one can snatch you out of the Father's hands. It's forever. And what you got by faith, you keep by faith, not by your good works. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would be with us and help us. Help us to stop focusing on other people and how they're living and help us to focus on you and what you've given us and what you've declared us to be, which is completely righteous and sinless. And therefore, Paul proclaimed, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I think he meant that by the Spirit of God. We want to serve you because we love you, not because we're trying to gain a place in heaven or make you more happy with us. I thank you for the truth that you could never love us more than you do right now, and you will never love us less, regardless of what happens. And I thank you for that freedom in Christ. And I ask it in your precious and holy name. Amen.